0: I mean, maybe some of you came hoping with like a real forensic breakdown of everything so you can kinda like check, 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 check. Scripture doesn't give a lot of that. It gives a ton of imagery, right? It gives prophecy, it gives promises, right? It says in Revelation, behold, I am making all things new. It says I'm not making all new things, but what does that even mean? I'm making everything new. I'm renewing, redeeming everything ultimately all of scripture is speaking to and it's appealing to that hope and that desire that you poured out onto this board saying, I hope this is what happens when I die. And scripture is saying, you have to understand that desire, get in touch with that desire. And in fact, most of us live pretty obtuse to it. I spent a lot of my life not realizing and not understanding that a lot of the desire that I was walking around with it was getting attached to all sorts of things was really about this. It was about this. It was about this. So let's talk for a second. Oh, hold on. You guys are gonna have to wait. You haven't watched me preach in a long time, so this... Sometimes I pause like this, I have to pray and think. Where did I put that book? It's unbelievable, I didn't bring it in here. I don't even have it. I guess I'm not gonna read it. Write down this, if you wanna read something, this is far more intelligent than anything I'm gonna say. The Weight of Glory, it's written by C.S. Lewis. I had a copy and I was gonna read three quotes from it tonight that were gonna blow your minds. Probably no single book has shaped my thinking or in some ways I could argue in different stretches, certainly at your age, my life, than that book. But um, I will send you the quotes. If Daryl has all of your email addresses, I will send out the quotes later. But I would highly recommend you get it. It's a 10-page essay that he wrote back in the 50s. I think it was the 50s, maybe the 40s the weight of glory. So, um, but here, I mean, we're, we're, we're putting our own language to this. Let's go to the next passage that I have written down here. I cannot believe I forgot that book. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So all of this, even what we threw up on the board in many ways is we're at least, this is something we've kind of seen, something we've heard, something we've tasted, right? But he's saying it's not not this, but it's so far beyond this that this, and that's what Lewis's quote in Weight of Glory would say, we're we're half-hearted creatures fooling around with sex and with money and with ambition, uh, making mud pies in the slum when a holiday at the sea is what is offered to us. And he says, we are far too easily pleased. What he's arguing is that even in all the things and all the beauty and all these things are very beautiful things. There's no shame and longing for any of this stuff. But he's saying, this is just scratching the surface of what you were created for. This is just touching on and speaking to the depth and the weight It's not weight, W-A-I-T, it's W-E-I-G-H-T, the weight of glory, the weight of what you desire in relationships. No eye has seen it, no ear has heard it, no human mind has conceived. I mean, think about how we live in the most creative town, and certainly, I was watching cartoons with my daughter the other day, and I was like, holy crap. These, These are so advanced, like, the, the imagination and the ability to kind of imagine and create things for our imagination, we've never had anything like it. The, what you're growing up in, what we're living in right now, it, it's unbelievable. And scripture is saying this is still just scratching at the surface. You're, you're coloring with crayons. No eyes seen, no ears heard, no human mind has conceived the things. The things, not just this—the stuff, the beauty, the rest, the work, the reality of the place, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. So let's let's try to call that down a little bit. I'm going to try to give you a couple of categories. Everybody hanging with me? Okay. What does the Bible say? that we desire? Because you, you've said, this is what I hope, and I'm gonna try to, try to get to this relationship and glory thing through a couple of passages. What does the Bible say that we desire? Proverbs 19:22. This is a life proverb for me. What a man desires, or what a person desires, is unfailing love better to be poor than a liar. Now, Proverbs are like hard candy, right? You gotta just kind of let it sit there for a second. What a person desires is unfailing, or the word there in the Greek or Hebrew, in the Old Testament, is steadfast, right? Enduring. I mean, you could think of it in terms of eternity, right? God has said eternity in the heart. I'm looking for some enduring, unfailing, perfect <laughs> love. It's better to be poor than a liar. What does that mean? Think about it for a sec. Okay, it took me a long time to figure this one out, so I won't make you do it on the spot. Better to be poor than a liar. Here, here's another way of saying that. It's better to not have and get to be be impoverished. It's better to be poor and not have what you're running after than to live in the lie that what I most truly want is unfailing love. That make sense? Say it again. It's better to be poor than a liar. It's better to not have everything that I'm chasing after that may actually be distracting me from the fact or lying to me that really that isn't what I want, this is what I want. I want unfailing love, right? So what the Bible says you and I desire, whether you know it or not, whether you walk around with the awareness of it or not, you desire unfailing love. You don't just desire love, right? You desire unfailing love. It's important, it's an important distinction Secondly, and this is a big passage, this is gonna read some of Romans and then some of Revelation. So I desire unfailing love and then I desire what I've, that's over here in relationships, I want unfailing love of God and I actually wanna be in relationship with other people in heaven, right, when I die. An unfailing love, a right love of myself because you and I love ourselves for all the wrong reasons, right, that's why we hate people. It's easy to hate somebody for the same reasons I love myself. That's a whole nother sermon. I'm sorry, I shouldn't even go that direction. I want a failing love of God. I want an unfailing love, right, inner peace. <laughs> I wanna be at peace. I wanna love myself for the right reasons and I wanna be in an unfailing relationships with other people because my relationships are failing all over the place, right? And I also want this, I want more than that. So it's not just about relationships. It certainly is, but go to Romans 8:18. 8, This is gonna take us a little little while to read through. It's worth reading. I consider that our present suffering, so what he's going through at this time, are not worth comparing with the glory, there's the word, that will be revealed in us. For the creation, so everything that was created, which we're in part of, right? The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God." Right? So we're not the only ones hoping for this. This is kind of hard to conceive, but all of creation is hoping for this. Creation, scripture says, is groaning for the very same things that we can put language to and imagination to, the birds and everything else are hoping for this day. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit. So we've got a taste of it, a taste of this day. We groan inwardly as we wait, Eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. I'm surprised nobody said that. Right? Maybe it's in there. Like at this age, I mean, y'all are still young, but I'm playing for the tie at this point. Daryl gets that. Like it's all erosion once you hit 40, right? You're just trying to hold things up and tie, strap things down, right? No matter how much I work out, how much I don't eat, like, your body's falling apart. I am falling apart. I'm 47 and I, I just don't move like I used to. I can't, I just, it's all, it's a wreck, right? I am groaning for a redeemed body. We'll put that up there. Since none of y'all want new bodies, I guess you're all cool with how you look. <laughs> I am insecure about how I look and I would like a different body up there. So, for in this hope we were saved, verse 24, but hope that is seen as no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We're gonna talk about waiting here in a second, right? We're hoping for this. We were saved in this hope. We don't see it fully yet. We don't have it fully yet, who hopes for what they already have, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So there's a part of me, and we'll talk and get to this in a second, I'm waiting for this. And if I don't get comfortable with that, there's a problem. In the same way, you're not waiting by yourself, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless grounds, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know, verse 28, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might, let's think about that. Those whom God foreknew, you guys have talked about predestination and sanctification. Have we primed that? There's already coats of paint on the wall. Okay, yeah. So the things you've already talked about, those God foreknew he predestined to be conformed what? To the image of his son. That's a part of this glorification, right? I'm gonna be I'm being sanctified into the image of, of Jesus right now, but one day I will be like him. That he might be the firstborn over many brothers and sisters, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Right? And then Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Don't worry, that doesn't mean there's not gonna be water in heaven. Sea was the word for chaos. In that day and age, that's what the sea represented was uncontrollable place of fear, right? So we also, no fear, we're gonna put on our no fear t-shirts, right? Right? Do you guys didn't even know what No Fear T-shirts are? But we do. This is just, for this talk just for me. <laughs> Bad bodies, No Fear T-shirts. Yeah. You guys know what a No Fear T-shirt is? Oh my Lord. I am so old. Okay, so No Fear was a T-shirt brand that was like cool for about two years when I was in high school. And if you didn't have one, you were a loser, right? <laughs> And I did just do Jim Carrey, which also dates me. (laughs) We're gonna keep going. No longer any sea, no longer any chaos, nothing to fear. I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be there with him and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. You see everything you wrote? You hear it? That's not just stuff you're imagining. That's stuff that is coming because God has implanted that desire. Eternity in your heart. You want something that he is saying, it's coming. He who is seated on the throne, right, who has the authority, who's in control, I am making everything new. And then he said this, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true, which is basically him saying, this will happen. And because of my blood, it's guaranteed. You're waiting on it, but it's coming. So the Bible, Confirms this, what we put on the board, right? That we want these kind of relationships, we want unfailing love and it would be better to have nothing than to lie to ourselves about the fact that that's what I want. Better to be poor than a liar and I want glory. I want this new heavens, this new earth, this no more crying, I want a new place to live, right? I want no more chaos, no more fear. Right? I want a new body. I want new relationships. I want all of creation to be subject, or that is subject to decay to be freed, to be liberated. I don't want a weed anymore in my yard. Right? Oh, I don't know, that might happen in heaven, I can't guarantee that. The things that your heart most deeply longs for and values that are congruent with the nature, the character, and the promises of God, when you die, if you are in Christ, all of those things will come completely true and will be entirely experienced. That's what scripture says. So it means this, perfect intimacy in everything. Relationship with God, relationship with yourself, and in your relationships with others, which we don't experience right now, but you long for it, don't you? Perfect emotional state. Think about that. Think about the mental health crisis that we're in in our country right now. That we, you can't, people can't become counselors fast enough because of how much mental health issues there are right now. And imagine a time where there is no more need for counseling because it's a perfect emotional state that you're in, right? Perfect peace, There's no more war, there's no more conflict. Who preached, Daryl preached on plows and sword shears, Or plows and, (laughs) Elliot did. Yeah, yeah, I was there for that one. You know, they beat their swords into the plowshares, right? And the kid, did you preach on the kid and the cobra? Yeah, Yeah, kid and cobra, right? The cobra and the kid are gonna hang out, right? That's gonna be perfect peace. Things that are at enmity with one another no longer at enmity with one another. Perfect justice, right? Everything, right, that is broken, that needs redeemed, right, will be redeemed. It'll be made right. It'll be shalom, or the hip Christian word flourishing, right, put a little flourishing on it, right? Sorry, y'all don't get this, I'm bad. Perfect bodies, I already talked about that. Perfect relationships, perfect desire and motivations. I'll be free from self-absorption and the sin that taints everything that I do. I'll have perfect work, right? I won't toil to derive my value, but I'll actually work from a place of having value. Secure, content, satisfied, whole. Now I'm going to work. Not to become secure, satisfied, content, and whole see the difference? There'll be perfect weather. <laughs> Sorry. Think Yellowstone plus San Diego. That's my idea of perfect weather. Glorified like him, with him, all your hopes fulfilled rightly and fully, all your desire satisfied, all your desire understood, all your desire aimed at the true object of its desire. That's what's happening when you die. That's what glorification is. And I'll stop and ask you this question. Are you aware? Do you wake up every morning going, oh yeah, that's what I desire? Because if you don't, you're in danger. And I love you enough to say it to you that straight. You may not believe anything I'm saying right now. I'll give you that. You could choose to not. But you're arguing with this, not me. But if you don't wake up every day and go, that's what my heart is longing for. What a man desires is unfailing love. That's what I want. That's what I desire. That's what I was made for. And I know I may experience little tastes and little snippets of that, but I know that's what I was made for. I was made for glory. I'm not made for, you know, playing for the tie here, (laughs) right? I'm made for a new body, right? Right? I was made for work that is not the work that I do every day. And that doesn't mean my work doesn't have value and meaning and that I don't approach it with a redemptive attitude, but that is not given to me to satisfy that desire. In fact, it's because I know my desire is gonna be satisfied, I can go do that now with a completely different attitude, with a completely different heart. It is dangerous if you don't know that desire. Go to the next proverb, Proverbs 19, 22. Oh, not 1922, 19, 22, 19 two and three. Oh, well, there's another one in there, Psalm 84. We'll get there in a second. Desire without knowledge is not good. Is that, that's pretty straightforward, right? It's basically saying, if you have a desire and you don't know what it's about, that ain't good. Now it gets a little more cryptic. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? So what that's saying is this, if you don't understand your desire, and you act on it in your haste, you're gonna miss what you're going for. Does that make sense? If I don't understand my desire, it's not good. And if I act, if I act in haste on desire that I don't understand, it's not gonna deliver on what I'm going for, because I don't understand my desire. Verse three, a person's own folly leads to their ruin and yet their heart rages against God. Now what's that saying? It's saying, when in my haste I go after something that really can't give me what I most deeply desire, and I don't understand my desire, that's folly. That's a fool, and it leads to my ruin, and yet who do I blame? Say it out loud. God, my heart rages against God. You're the problem. You're the one who's not giving me what I want. Is it possible that he's not not giving you what you want? It's you don't understand what you want? That you don't really know what you want? And in fact, if I were to give that to you because you believe that's what you want, it could actually drive you away from me, not towards me. And I'm what you really want. You see the problem? Desire without knowledge is not good. Because you and I desire a certain type of relationship, unfailing love. You and I desire a certain type of experience, glory, not something short of it. And that relationship and that glory, those are things that we were designed to receive from God by his sheer grace alone, not by our work or by our effort. I'm supposed to receive that love not because I did something to earn it. I'm supposed to receive and live in that glory not because I did something, but because God decided to share his glory with me, right? That's what I desire, that's what I was made for. So let's talk about glory for a second. I swear we're almost not quite done. We're made may for a certain type of relationship, we've kind of hammered on that for a second. Give me a definition of glory, give me words that you say, that's glory. Cultural world words, take your heaven hat off for a second. What's our world say is glory? Fame, yes, thank you. I'm in your heads, that's what I got written down right there. Yeah, fame right? Can I, can't do that with my hand. Fame. Any other word you want to put on there? Huh? (laughs) Yeah, dude. Hashtag winning. Yeah. Sorry. Y'all are like, (laughs) Daryl, please do not invite this old guy back. (laughs) Hold on, guys, I'm gonna give, uh, get my self-esteem back behind the board. Uh, yeah, fame, winning. Glory. Isn't glory like, f- I mean, followers to be known? Like, oh, oh, you're like, oh, we all know who that is, right? Like when Daryl said, hey, this is Dave, everybody's like, who's Dave? So like, not glory. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> not, yeah, we wanna be known, yeah? Right? (laughs) G-N-O-W-N. No. But isn't our cultural definition of glory, it's all through a competitive lens, isn't it? Right? Like I I am literally drowning in the World Cup right now because I love soccer, I coach soccer, I play soccer. And I would take the whole month off to just watch it. Um, But it's amazing to me, there's a guy named Kylian Mbappe, who's a French striker who's just absolutely torching people right now. And Messi's trying to make his run and Ronaldo's falling off and all this sort of stuff. But even the people who are like succeeding like a, like a next level, they still are, all the pundits, right? All the commentators, what are they doing? They're trying to compare Is Mbappe really as good as Pele or whoever? They're throwing around all these names. It's all just trying to like, okay, he's great, but is he the greatest? Is he the goat, right? Is he the best? Because that's the only way we understand glory in our fallen culture, right? In our fallen world. Glory is by getting on top of Uh, you won't even know this book, The Caterpillar Pillar, right? All the caterpillars trying to climb to the top of the pillar to get up there to be on top and once they get up there, they discover there's nothing up here except I'm on top. Glory, fame, being known, winning, it's always in our culture through comparison with one another. Throw up my picture if you have it. I was at home, so I come by this honestly I found this picture the other day. We moved my parents, my dad's got Parkinson's, he's in a, a home now, he's not well. We moved out of my childhood home and I was going through photo books when I was there over Thanksgiving, and I found this picture. That picture is the hutch of trophies that was in my brother and ma's bedroom. And uh, you see the, the Awana trophy? You guys don't even know what Awana is. Far right corner, kind of a big round one that one and the other one right next to it are mine. The rest are my brother's. Now, my brother's eight years older than I am. He's a valedict- valedictorian of high school, starting quarterback, starting pitcher, uh, triple major, college 4 0, and three majors. has his doctorate at 26. Um, when he got most of those trophies or when he started to collect them, it was when I was like really young, his eighth grade graduation, I remember he won student of the year. That was back when they gave, they gave out like trophies with like baseball players for like the math award because they don't have like math trophies or something and they didn't get certificates. It's like, you get a trophy. And he got so many trophies that the janitor had to go get boxes out of the back so that we could carry my brother's trophies. To the car, and I remember my mother thrusting a box of these trophies into my like first grade arms, and I waddled like in one of those World's Strongest Man competitions, buckling under the weight of my inadequacy and my brother's trophies, into putting them in the back of the car and looking down into that box of trophies and thinking, "This is what gets you love. This is what gets you glory. Trophies, achieve, right?" Set yourself apart from everybody else because that's what's gonna give you what your heart most deeply longs for. And I spent from first grade till probably I was 25 in a hog farmer, that's a whole nother story, trying to live up to the glory of my brother because that's the only glory I understood was that glory is about Getting all of these things, beauty and freedom and rest and peace, all through what? Achieving, setting yourself apart. Culturally, glory is a form of isolation. Remember, we said we want this. Culturally, glory is being better than. It's being on top. It's glory without relationship. Which is called pride. I want to be seen in the eyes of everyone else as being above everyone else. That's cultural glory. Biblical glory And this is how sin works in our hearts, because sin just takes something that is beautiful, our desire for glory, and just perverts it. Satan's not creative. He takes what God creates, and he just twists it just a little bit. He takes this desire to be seen, right? I don't want to be seen above everybody else. And he's saying, nah, that's really what you desire. It's like, no, that's not what you desire. I desire to be seen, but I desire to be seen by somebody. Not everybody, by somebody. I have a desire to be seen and to be valued in the perfect love of someone, Psalm 17, seven and eight. Oh my goodness, I gotta hurry. What does it say? Show me the wonders of your great love. You who saved by your right hand, those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. What's the psalmist, what is David saying there? He's saying, I wanna be the apple of your eye. I don't wanna be seen by everybody else. I wanna be seen by you. I wanna be valued like that by you. I am valued like that by you. So I wanna be seen by him, and I also wanna see Psalm twenty-seven, 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, I mean, look at, look at the, is, this, is he just being sentimental or is he talking about facts here? One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You see what the psalmist is saying? I not only want to be seen as the apple of his eye, but I want to see him. I want to gaze upon Him in His glory, right? And what I'm made for is to be looked upon by Him in His glory and to share in His glory, not have glory of my own. We are made for glory, we are promised glory, we desire glory, and we're made to receive it in a certain way and from someone. And if you're in Christ tonight, That relationship, that unfailing love and that glory is promised. You will not experience it all fully now. You have the first fruits of it in the Holy Spirit, which I'll say something about in a second. But at his second coming in the new heavens and the new earth, all of those promises, everything you desire and everything you can't even imagine is gonna be a yes in Jesus. So what about now? You're like, okay, that's awesome, thank you. Great. What do I do today as I walk out these doors? That's why that book, Weight of Glory, is so important to me. Um, And I I actually use this phrase, the weight of the weight. Right? I'm waiting with the weight. Because if you're following anything I just said, you realize I've just explained to you that you're gonna live a life with a ton of tension. Because you have desire inside of your heart, right? To be a Christian is to live a life of unfulfilled desire. That is not a popular thing to say to people. Certainly not a culturally popular thing to say to people, right? You're gonna live a life of wanting a glory and wanting a relationship that you're not gonna fully taste this side of eternity. C.S. Lewis calls it the inconsolable secret he's trying to rip open inside of you in the weight of glory. I'm trying to tear something open inside of you that to a degree of it, it's gonna feel inconsolable. I don't quite like that word because I think there's comfort for it, but he's saying it's an inconsolable secret, right? That I have this internal desire, but in my temporal life here, right? in the here and now, in this body, in this flesh, in a fallen world, I'm gonna live with unfulfilled desire. But I'm gonna tell you this, most mature believers, and if you're gonna become a mature believer, you will have to decide I will agree to live in that tension. But that tension doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. That tension doesn't mean there's something wrong with God. That tension does mean there is something deeply broken about this world, but it's not something that I can fix. It doesn't mean there's not ways that I can't push against it, but it's not going away. I will live in that tension. And as a mature believer, I need to embrace it. I don't have to rail against unfulfilled desire all the time, rail against God or everything else. I also don't have to misplace it and put it on something too small, which is something that I did. Just go talk to every girl I dated before I married my wife. And that ain't a joke. If you don't understand the depth of your desire for unfailing love, every relationship in your life will buckle under the weight of that desire because you're asking someone to be Jesus for you and they can't. They can be, if they have Christ in them, you'll get a taste of it. Maybe the closest thing this side of eternity, but man, it doesn't even compare to being what? Face to face, that one-on-one I'm gonna get with my Savior and my Lord. So don't misplace that desire on something as small as money or a marriage or a job because you have eternity set in your heart. And as a result, go to Psalm 84 here for one minute, two minutes, because you have eternity set in your heart, you have a pilgrim's heart. But most of our earthly lives are curated around settling here, not pilgriming for this day. And I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you that is groaning for the redemption of your body and for this day, you have a pilgrim heart. You can try to settle that pilgrim down, and put him in a nice little house, right? And get really comfortable, but there's gonna be some part of him that's gonna say, and some part of her that's gonna say, this isn't it. Right? We're pilgrims, we're not settlers. But if you're gonna be a mature believer, you're gonna to have to live in that tension, which means you're gonna to have to embrace waiting. No one likes waiting. Do any of you like waiting? No, right? Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When I wait on what I'm hoping for, it's heart sickness. Right, and when I feel heart sickness, culturally, what do we say? Something's wrong with you. You know what scripture says? Ecclesiastes says a sad face is good for the heart. We're trying to cure all sadness when oftentimes some sadness is actually awakening you to the fact that what you desire is bigger than what you're going after. That you have some hope deferred and you're gonna live with hope deferred and there's gonna be some heart sickness. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. In fact, I would argue it's something right with you because I'm hungry for what's real what I was made for. What do we do culturally? Snickers. Hungry? Come on. You guys certainly have seen that commercial. Why wait? Right? Eat a Snickers. Except it's junk food and it's not really what you want. So we'll have to wait. So here's the role. This is the last thing I'll say to help you go out of here. Everybody's like, man, please stop talking to that guy. What's the role of the word? Because... We read in there in Romans, you have the first fruits, the Holy Spirit. What's the role of the Word and the Holy Spirit on setting your heart on pilgrimage? Because you already have the first fruits of this day. You don't have that new glorious body, but what do you have? You have the Holy Spirit. Yes. Holy Spirit. And that's not something insignificant. Jesus said to his disciples, before he was leaving, i it's good for you that I go away and prepare a place for you and I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to you. He's gonna be a guide for you. He's gonna lead you, he's gonna comfort you because things are gonna suck down here, right? You're gonna suffer, it's gonna be difficult, but you're not gonna be alone. I'm not gonna take away all the suffering, but I'm gonna be with you in the suffering. I'm gonna remind you of all my promises. This is coming, this is coming. That's the Holy Spirit's role. The Holy Spirit, he makes like the, uh, you know, the road trip tapes for our, our hard days, <laughs> right? Put the cassette in and play the, play the truth. This is not the end, this is not the end, right? So if you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and you don't have a relationship with the Word, then I would bet that even though you desire all this, probably a lot of this desire is getting attached to things right now and those things are failing you. That's my hunch. That's my experience. It was the first 25 to 30 years of my life. This desire, I hadn't made peace with the fact that it's about a day that I can't make happen. But it's a day that's coming. And man, did my relationships, friendships, marriage, dating, (laughs) my relationship to my work, everything changed because I wasn't bringing the weight of glory to everything. In fact, I was bringing the hope of glory and the certainty of it to everything. You have something to offer. You're not just coming to take, you're coming to give. So Psalm 84, this is it, we'll do it in eight minutes and then you guys, Darrell, I'll close the building down for you so you can go home. Go to Psalm 84, this, I was really praying about this and I, man, if you just meditate on this, this would do it for you. But this is what the Psalms are. I mean, the Psalms are a prayer book, right? Sometimes you pray from your heart and sometimes you have to pray to your heart, right? Sometimes my heart doesn't really feel what I know is true. So the Psalmists oftentimes are doing that. They're like, man, I'm not feeling great. I'm gonna kind of pray the truth of God's promises into me to change how I feel and to experience it. Not, I feel like saying this stuff, so I'm gonna say it, right? So we would spend a lot more time on this if we had more time. Here go my click glasses. Getting really old. Here's how the Holy Spirit, let me just pray for us. Holy Spirit apply this even right now so that my friends and I would see that even these seven verses uh, bring us into a fresh experience of our hope in you, the glory we desire and the relationship we were made for in your name, amen. Here we go, Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrows found a home, swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Okay, first thing first two things, uh, It's talking about a new home, right? How lovely is your dwelling place, right? He's talking about the sparrow finds a home, the swallow finds a nest, near your altar, blessed are those who dwell in your house, right? So in our culture, cultural glory is what? When all y'all get that sweet, two-in-one, awesome 12 South home, right? that I can kind of Instagram it up, right? And show all my friends. Cultural glory is getting my own place. Biblical glory is, this is the house I'm looking for. This is the place that I was designed to dwell. In his house, in his courts, near his altar. And the whole birds part Go write down Matthew six about not worry. He basically says this in scripture. I provide homes for the birds and I make sure that they're all fed and you're way more valuable than they are. So don't worry, cause I'm gonna give you what you need. But what the psalmist is doing right now is saying, wait a sec, this isn't about my temple. This isn't about my house. This is the house. You see what he's doing? This is the house I was made to dwell in. That's the glory I long for. Secondly. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. I mean, if that isn't like a description of like romance, right? My heart and my flesh cry out, right? My soul faints, like, mm. I mean, I do. I think about young love, right? So I was, I was made for this kind of home, right? This kind of dwelling, but I was made for this kind of love. Now, cultural glory is what? Find my soulmate. Right? Apocalyptic romance. Biblical glory is this. He's the one I'm looking for in all of my relationships. That's not very savvy to say in these days. Would you dare to believe that in all of the love that you're chasing down, it's really about him? Doesn't mean that those relationships aren't worth chasing and aren't, aren't valuable and aren't even a place to experience and express his love. But your the one I'm feigning for. You're the one I'm yearning for. You're the one that my heart and my flesh are crying out for, right? So home, love. Then he says what? Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, right? Who have their hearts set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. They make its place springs, the autumn rains, also cover it with pools they go from strength to strength until they appear before God in Zion so go to verse 4 or sorry verse 3 blessed are those whose strength is in you cultural what does culture say about strength right because the word there literally in you know in the Hebrew is means material success prosperity right blessed is those whose strength is not in themselves, but whose strength is in you. You see what the psalmist is doing there? My home is about you, my love is about you, my strength is in you, right? Culture is telling you, be strong. You be strong. Your strength is in you, right? Hashtag blessed, right? Hashtag winning, like you said. No. Blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord, right? The Lord, Psalm 73 says, the Lord is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And if my strength is in you, what does it say? Secondly, there is a reflection of that. Blessed who have set their hearts on pilgrimage, right? Whose hearts are set on this day to be in his courts, to be in his presence, to be loved like this. He's doing all this reminding to himself, and then what does he say? Sorry, I'm really racing through this. As they, those who have set their hearts on pilgrimage, pass through the Valley of Baca, through the Valley of Groaning. Let me just say it really simply. Valley of Baca, this is what we're living in, right? We're in the valley right now. They don't just sit there on their hands and go, oh, it was made for heaven, right? Some people make that argument. If you think about heaven too much, you'll become no earthly good. I've never met a person like that who's like wasting their days away, dreaming about heaven and as being so earthly unaffected. If you're that person, I would love to meet you. Most people are just so obsessed with this earth and not thinking anything about the next life, right? But he's saying those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage, when they live in the valley of groaning, what do they do? They make springs come forth. You bring eternity into the present. You have water to hand out, in the marathon of suck. (laughs) Right, here you go. Hey, it's not the end, keep going, keep going. Hey, trust me, at the end it's worth it. Keep going, keep going. When your heart's set on pilgrimage, the fruit of that is, is that you literally bring the glory that you know is guaranteed, and you You pass it out, you make springs. You don't try to leave the valley and go back to the mountaintop all the time either. You stop mountaintop living. And you're like, no, no, I'm cool down here in the valley because I have something to offer down here in the valley. So it's powerful here because it says, they make it a place of springs. You hear it? Not God makes it a place of springs, they do. God does something through you when you set your heart on pilgrimage. And then he does something, the autumn rains also cover it with ponds. I'm gonna do something through you, you're gonna make it a place of springs, and I'm gonna rain. Stop avoiding the valley of groaning. Stop ignoring the fact that you're gonna live with a life of unfulfilled desire. Make peace with it, because when you do and you stop kicking against it, I will actually bring rain in that valley that you don't know nothing about unless you stay in the valley that makes sense? I'm gonna bring pools. I'm gonna bring blessing in that place that if you try to leave that valley and try to get all of this through your own effort or through your own means, you're gonna miss what I wanna do in that place of the valley. So when your heart is set on pilgrimage, when your strength is in the Lord and not in yourself, when you realize my heart is yearning and fainting for you and the house that I wanna live in is not the coolest house in Nashville, it's your house. I become a springer in the valley, and God makes it rain in places that I didn't believe it would rain. And the fruit of that is what? They go from strength to strength. Until what? Each appears before God in Zion. That sounds really cool, man, going strength to strength, man. Just going from strength to strength. And isn't that what we want in life? I don't want dips. I just kinda want up and to the right, <laughs> right? Steady climb, my portfolio's doing well. But that's not life, is it? And he's saying that isn't life. Life is gonna be valleys, but in the valley you can go from strength to strength if your strength isn't you. If you understand what your desire is for because it's literally like saying you can go from God to God unto glory because I'm not walking in that valley by myself. I've been given the first fruits and I've been given the guarantees. I will have unfailing love. I have it in Christ and I can experience through the Holy Spirit. I was made for glory. This world is not what I was made for. I was made for another world. I think I have that last quote on the back. Finally, one C.S. Lewis. If I find in myself a desire for which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You were, I was, we are. Would you dare to believe it? You become a dangerous person if you get in touch with this desire. It will radically change your life. I know the Lord radically changed my life. And I can say this, every day I gotta wake up and I have to do battle with this because there's a part of me that wants to live by that song, I want it all, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it now. And the Lord has to wrestle that out of my hands by his Holy Spirit with his word and through prayer and through other people and say, hey, this is what you were made for, right? Now that, we're, now that that's settled, get out there. Go bring, make springs happen in the valley today. Go watch where I bring the rain today. You're free, you're gonna be free. Go live in that freedom, go live in that joy, go live in that peace that the day that you long for, it's coming, but it's not today, but it's coming. That's it. How do you end these things? Do I pray? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just walk out <laughs> Yeah, this is like the uh, what's the one where we like turn off all the lights and then everybody walks out in the dark? Good Friday. Good Friday service. Yeah, we'll do this like Good Friday. Oh Lord. Um, I just, I confess, theres I've made such a mess out of my life in so many places because uh, I did not understand the depth of my desire and who, who it was really for, which is you. And what it was really about, uh, which is uh, to be with you, to be where you're at, um, to not uh, be uh, on top uh, and winning, uh, but that you're, you're on top and that you have won, you've defeated sin, you've defeated death, uh, and that our hearts live in this very difficult place of, of waiting on the glory uh, that will be revealed and uh, to be fully experiencing what we already have in part. Um, so I pray for my friends. Uh, thank you. Uh, For them, it's just so deeply encouraging to me um, to see people almost half my age uh, who wanna know more about you. Uh, When I was their age, I was so lost in my own self-absorption. And I was hurting so many people uh, because I didn't understand what we talked about tonight. Uh, And I was bringing the weight of that desire, uh, Lord, you know it, uh, to so many people that I was hurting. Would you set my my, my friends free and continue to set me free to be people who live in the desire that you've given us, the eternity that you've set in our hearts, uh, that we would become, um, our imaginations would become literally um, captivated uh, by your promises and the truth uh, of what you've done for us and what you're doing for us, uh, and in particular that the Holy Spirit would apply uh, this truth and everything they ever hear taught out of this pulpit, looked at in your word through their small groups that you would apply that to their heart uh, comforting and guiding them uh, as they await this day Uh, and man if you want to come back tomorrow let's do it amen